it could be obvious sometimes and sometimes it's tricky. But the better thing is to search for the parallelisms. And once mm. you find the parallelisms, chiasms fall into place better. But the parallelisms are where the meanings are. Hey, did you know, here's a piece of information. <laughs> I listened to this program on squirrels yesterday. <laughs> this is the funniest thing. This just makes me happy to know that this is in the world. <laughs> the, <laughs> what a squirrel. This is so funny. What a squirrel jump, jumps from a tree, right? If you can capture them in midair before they land or as they land, they land as a superhero. They land on three appendages with their <laughs> fist in the air like this, as much as you can make a fist. Oh, you're kidding. No. I, well, I thought they were kidding. And so I Googled <laughs> this morning as my, my son and I went on a drive. I Googled squirrel superhero pictures. And, and on Google, and there's images after image of these squirrels. Uh, and it looks just like they would take the superhero uh, oh my gosh! In the movies, like they like they've done it after a squirrel. They're gonna make a movie called Iron Squirrel, probably. So, <laughs> with your new uh, iPhone, oh yeah, with do this the new camera, mode. this is your goal: is to capture a squirrel <laughs> landing. You have to do it right when they jump from the tree to the ground. Wow. Well, hey, your neighborhood's the place to do it, man. I was worried I was gonna hit them driving in this morning. There's so many of them. <laughs> well, when they when they land on the ground, I'll try that. We got squirrels that. Um, Come on our rock wall, eat the bird seed every day. So I uh, got a good spot to try that. All right, there you go. From hummingbirds to squirrels. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Restore Gospel Podcast. Welcome back. I'm Mike Barrett. I'm Corey Stark. We are two friends having casual conversation about the things of eternity, and we welcome you into that conversation. Where are we at today, Corey? Are we back in Second Nephi? Yeah, Second Nephi 11. I was so excited when we recorded last time to come back, and here we are, going to continue on. Um, <clears throat> we've been talking about what the Book of Mormon teaches, and um, we've discussed how the Book of Mormon was written by descendants of Joseph and uh, these people who came from America uh, wrote records that were not always uh, apparent why they were commanded to do it to them, but they said it would be for a wise purpose. Um, promises to people in the Book of Mormon through time were that the records would come back to their very people and be a message of hope and, and of Christ to their people and to us in the last days. And we're going to read about how that happens. Well, I got my book open and I'm ready to dive in. So. Yeah, I'm too. You know, I wanted to say just without naming names or saying anything, we do appreciate the the kind words that uh, sometimes we get through email or the Facebook page Mike has or Twitter. Um, many people have, have reached out and shared that uh, sometimes it's questions or sometimes it's things they'd like to have us try to clarify. Um, or sometimes it's just saying thanks. And we do appreciate those those words. Those are encouraging to us. Yes, very much so. Yeah, well, so uh, last couple sessions, we were getting into the second book of Nephi, chapter 11 in the RLDS. And this has so much information, but like we talked about last time, Nephi's pointing out that he's talking in plainness. He's talking with clarity. He's he's not talking in mysterious terms or you know secret metaphors. He's telling it like it is. And and if um, 
you know, if there's if there's any question about doctrine, Nephi spells it out. He he never he never delves into the mystical and deep and mysterious. He he unfolds the mystical and deep and mysterious to us. And so what he's done in Second Nephi eleven is he's taken words from Isaiah, which some people uh, in our day might find a little hard to follow, and uh, all of a sudden in our hands we've got the world's foremost commentator on the Book of Isaiah, and uh, he he not only you know, he didn't live when Isaiah lived. His Nephi's days were a couple hundred years after, but he lived in the culture that Isaiah wrote to and, and the people that he um, talked about. Uh, so Nephi says, hey, I understand the ways of <clears throat> or the words of Isaiah, partly because he's got the spirit of prophecy, uh, this great gift to understand. But he said, I also lived in Jerusalem, and there was no one like the Jews who could understand the words of the prophets like the Jews could. And so so he goes, I'm not going to teach my family and my children about the Jews, but I want to teach them about the consequences that Isaiah taught, and I want to tell them about what Isaiah was saying. So the um, result of his feelings about all that is really the 11th and 12th chapters of the book of Second uh, Nephi. This is where he's explaining all the mysterious, hard things that Isaiah had to say. And not everything Isaiah had to say, but things that pertain to him and his people. So we uh, concluded last time in around the, uh, oh, the 30th verse or so. And so this passage is leading up to Nephi explaining how the Book of Mormon will come back to his people. And um, when when Nephi was explaining his uh, the people of Jerusalem's situation when they departed, he said, hey, these people are about to be destroyed. He said, they've always been destroyed, you know, for iniquity, and the prophets have always talked about it. And he said, um, but he, he ties a couple things together. He said, but they're not going to be fallen from God forever. Um, and starting back at about the 26th verse, let's pick up there, and then that, that'll kind of bring us into the new material. Um, after his people, these Jews, had been scattered uh, and scourged by other nations for many generations, down from generation to generation, until they shall be persuaded to believe in Christ, the Son of God, and the Atonement, which is infinite for all mankind. And when that day shall come, that they shall believe in Christ, and worship the Father in his name with pure hearts and clean hands, and not look forward any more for another Messiah, then at that time the day will come that it must needs be expedient that they should believe these things. Now he's talking about these things, and we touched on this last time. Uh, part of what he's talking about is that these things will be believing in Christ, but also believing in his words and the words of the Jews that all pointed towards Christ, the words of Isaiah specifically. So he said in, in a day to come, they are going to um, finally see this light. And so he's, he explains, the Lord will set his hand again, the second time to restore his people from their lost and fallen state. Wherefore, he will proceed to do a marvelous work and a wonder among the children of men. Now, that word second time is a great one to word search. If you go to any of the scripture searches for the restoration, restore gospel, there's other ones. But if you search that word second time, um, this is a term that's used in not only the Book of Mormon, but it's used in the Bible. And where it's used, I just want us to go there for a second. 
this word second time is used by Isaiah. And so when Nephi's talking about this word second time, it's not a creation of his. He's explaining something Isaiah mentioned. And so um, I'm going to turn to Isaiah chapter 11, and it reads the same whether you're in the King James or inspired version. And so this chapter, uh, to, to summarize uh, the first 11 verses, uh, is Isaiah's words of prophecy. And he's talking about, in, a, in Isaiah 11, starting at verse 1, he says, There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Well, right here, we've got metaphorical language, right? You know, mm-hmm. the, the branch and the stem and the people and all these things. And the word branch is capitalized. Well, chances are we've heard this enough. We kind of get the inference. Maybe he's talking about Jesus. But again, to, to take a step back from that verse and just talk about this type of language in general, this was one of those higher forms of kind of mystical, metaphorical language that the Hebrews knew all about, the rabbis knew about, but it wasn't the plainness, right? It, it stood for something else. And Nephi is taking all this language, like, for instance, from Isaiah 11, and now he's saying in plainness what it means. So, so we have powerful explanations here. And, but it's important, I, I want to draw this back to this, where he says in uh, Nephi, back to 2 Nephi eleven twenty eight, the Lord will set his hand a second time to restore his people from the lost and fallen state. I want to tie this into Isaiah 11 real quick because it's important for our understanding in the restoration, or even if we're not in the restoration, just for our understanding in general, that Nephi is explaining a time frame here as well. He's talking about when the Jews are going to come back to the Lord, and he says it's tied with the second time. Well, Isaiah talks about it, and let's see what Isaiah says. In Isaiah 11, verse 2, says, the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and shall make him quick of understanding in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, nor reprove after the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor, reprove with equity for the meek of the earth, smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. Okay, so that's the first five verses. You know, it's it sounds kind of symbolic and everything, and, and without trying to really analyze it, most people in our day would come to the conclusion, oh, yeah, this was a prophecy about Jesus. It doesn't mention the name of Jesus. It doesn't say Messiah. It doesn't say Christ. But it's talking about this righteous person who would judge righteously the people of the earth. Well, that's the prophecy of the Messiah. So the point being, the first five verses of Isaiah 11 are prophesying about Jesus Christ. But what's interesting is that the next five verses, starting at verse 6, talk about something else that we can relate to. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall feed, and the young ones lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the sucking child shall play on the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice den, and they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea." And so when we read these verses, that sounds like something if we've been in the restoration, and I I think it's accurate. It sounds like a prophecy of 
Zion, yeah. the kingdom of God. Yeah, the kingdom of God, this this time of peace on the earth, you know, where, where children can play with snakes and they aren't going to get bitten, and lambs can dwell with lions with no fear, right? So all these things are in a day to come. Well, the reason this is interesting is because he's talking about Jesus judging the earth with in righteousness, and he's talking about this time of a day to come when Zion is established. I think in the Restoration we've always been kind of conditioned to believe, well, when that happens that's the end that's the that's the you know that's the after game party here now we've got zion and everything's behind us but that's not what the scriptures say yes jesus is coming yes zion's going to be established but there's a very important person purpose and and person and it's explained in verse 11 so first five verses are jesus next five verses talking about zion so when jesus and zion are established Verse 11 says this, And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people. All right, so, and he, and he talks about where they'll come from. It says Assyria, Egypt, Pathros, Cush. All those basically mean north, south, east, west. And when he includes the islands of the sea, that's a Hebrewism. Mm. Hebrewism of the islands of the sea does not just mean the little dots of Samoa and Hawaii. Isles of the sea meant basically to the Jews anything beyond the Mediterranean. They knew there were lands out there. And the isles of the sea is used in the Book of Mormon. And and Nephi and Jacob, they write, they say, hey, we're we're just people on the isles of the sea. Well they weren't they weren't living in Fiji. Right. right? They were you know they were living on the continent. But again it points out that's what the term meant to them. So when Isaiah writes this, he's saying, I'm going to gather my people from all the lands where they are in the world, right? And so the point of this and the beauty of it is that the purpose of Zion being established is that God goes out in power and regathers his people from the world. And it's not just, I think sometimes in a limited sense, we've thought, well, it's this reward or this place of safety for us if we made it to Jackson County and found the restoration. But it's like, yeah, that might be part of it, but there's a much, much bigger, beautiful story of God's purpose where this work begins at this day of Zion to, to regather people. So, so back to Nephi. Nephi's explaining this, right? He's he's talking about this. And he said, hey, my people are going to turn to Christ someday, but there's going to be a day of power. And he says, the Lord, now back to Nephi, see 11.28 matches perfectly with Isaiah 11, verse 11, where he says, he will set his hand again the second time to restore his people from their lost and fallen state. He will proceed to do a marvelous work and a, mon- and a wonder among the children of men. That marvelous work and wonder actually is starting when Zion happens. You know, we've we've always called the restoration a marvelous work and a wonder, which was the beginning of this word coming forth. But there's a much greater day of power coming where this word returns in purity back to God's remnants where are wherever they are in the world, and they find Christ purely through it. And they find it without the baggage and the problems we've had. They, it's it's in a miraculous thing that God has yet to do. And so this is this is important that we see this this big picture unfolding that Nephi is explaining. So the, from listening to that, then you can think of Jesus coming is is not the culmination of everything, but the beginning of the culmination of everything. 
Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, what you just said, it's worth going there. If we turn real quickly to Third Nephi 10, mm. um, this is just one of my favorites. For this word, word that's used by Jesus, uh, and you can word search this if you want to, uh, if you're listening, but the word commence, which we take is to begin. Um, again, just tying in a couple other scriptures along this line. In the 10th chapter of the third book of Nephi, or if you're in the LDS versions, you're going to find these these writings at, um, let me get down to it. Um, it's going to be third uh, Nephi uh, chapters um, uh, 21, um, yeah, 21 and maybe 22. So, Jesus says this in the 10th chapter of 3 Nephi RLDS. He says, if the Gentiles, after they've had judgment, if they repent, I'm going to establish my church among them. This is in a day to come. And they'll come into the covenant. They'll be numbered among this people, the remnant of Jacob, who I've given this land for their inheritance. So Nephi's one of these people who's the remnant of Jacob. He's a descendant of Israel. And Joseph was promised this will be the land of their inheritance. So he's saying all this stuff is going to be restored. These people who are the remnant, I'm giving them this land. And, and something special is going to happen. These Gentiles who are repentant will assist his people, in the end of verse 1, to do what? Verse 2, as many as will come that they may build a city which will be called the New Jerusalem. So so a, a beautiful promise through the Book of Mormon, and it's been established in the Bible, that there would be a, a restoration of God's people, the lineage of Joseph on this land, and whoever's repentant of the Gentiles, you know, our nation, whatever, we get to assist that there will be a city built called the New Jerusalem. And notice, then it says, then they shall assist my people that they can be gathered in who are scattered upon the face of this land to the New Jerusalem. That's the that's the gathering in power. This is 10, 3 Nephi 10 verse 3. But notice what happens now. It doesn't, it doesn't end the story there. It begins a new chapter in verse 4. And then shall the powers of heaven come down among them, and I also will be in the midst. And then shall the work of the Father commence in that day, even when this gospel shall be preached among the remnant of this people. So all of a sudden, we, we just tied in Isaiah 11, where it's like Zion is established, this is the new Jerusalem, and Jesus is in the midst, you know, Jesus is in the midst, and all of a sudden he says, then the power of heaven will be there in the day when the work of the Father commences. Right, this is the second time, right, and and he he explains uh, that how this work shall commence. He says among the dispersed of his people in verse five, uh, in verse six, and and in verse seven he says this will work will commence among all nations in the preparing the way whereby his people may be gathered home to the land of their inheritance, and they'll come out from all nations. Verse eight and nine. So again. These scriptures have been prophesied since the beginning. Zion becomes this starting point of a great work to regather his people from all nations. That's, yeah, so different than um, the way, what I learned, I guess, uh, or what I thought I learned, what I, what I heard, what I thought I knew growing up. That's, 
So you think about, you know, Jesus was here and brought his gospel the first time, and then the great work that went forth by his disciples and his apostles. And for this great work at the end um, to happen again, that, that he's going to be present as well. Right. And, um, and, and it's for this work. It's interesting because, you know, Isaiah said he will judge the nations. Coming back to Second Nephi eleven thirty, Nephi writes, Wherefore, he shall bring forth his words unto them, which shall judge them at the last day. His, and it will be for the purpose of convincing them of the true Messiah, Messiah who was rejected by them. You know, again, this, this point has been this point all along. It's to, to bring the world to Jesus. The reason we have this book is so that the world can come to Jesus. And we have to hold him up as the light, not ourselves. You know, we, we, we can't hold ourselves up and simply just say, well, well, we're the church that you need to be a part of, even though, you know, sometimes yeah. doctrinally we're, we're kind of floundering. You know, it's like we need to hold up the Messiah as the light and let people see him through these words he's given us. Yeah, the there's some beautiful um, words written in this second Nephi 11. Um, I love when it says in verse 39, these things are true, and as the Lord God liveth, there is none other name given under heaven, save it be this Jesus Christ, of which I have spoken, whereby man can be saved. And it says, for this cause, for this cause, hath the Lord God promised unto me that these things which I write shall be kept and preserved and handed down unto my seed from generation to generation. That's the reason these record keepers labored so diligently to write for this cause, the cause that Jesus Christ is the only way men can be saved, and we need to let men know that. We need to let men know that this is the purpose of of these records. This is the purpose of the, and that's why we're, you know, we're talking about the message. What does the Book of Mormon teach for this cause? That that phrase is, is, is good to hang on to for this cause. Mm. You know, um, Nephi does, it couldn't have been Joseph Smith figuring this stuff out, just a farm kid. It, it couldn't have been. Um, I, I was thinking about this yesterday. I, I'd mentioned in a previous podcast that some of this chapter is a chiasm. And so to add it to our podcast show notes, um, I'd, I'd started going through several scriptures and creating kind of what I thought were chiastic outlines that I'm going to put on Restore Gospel. It's a never-ending effort. But I went back through this chapter of Isaiah, or Second Nephi 11, and I thought, oh, yeah, it's a pretty simple chiasm. And it was so complex. It was like I spent hours yesterday just trying to figure out, well, it could go this way or it could go the other way. You know, you see a lot of parallelisms. And and, and the more I look at it, the more in-depth and complex I huh. thought of, I realized it was. I literally spent, you know, probably six or seven hours yesterday afternoon and evening working on what was about 30 verses, just trying to understand the depth of the chiasm. And it made me consider this, that Nephi never, he couldn't have written any of this whimsically. You know, he, he's written the equivalent, I don't know, if you look at First Nephi, Second Nephi, the way it turns out in English, there's about 100, and, and I've got a restored covenant edition, about 175 pages of plates that were Nephi's records, and his brother Jacob writes some as well. But those 175 pages, I bet he pondered, for months and sometimes years before he tapped him in, just just because God mm-hmm. probably just gave him a little bit here and there and the complexity with which it's presented and yet the plainness with which it's presented. It's kind of like, 
you know, if you if you took something like or some complex piece of machinery like a, a BMW car and you realize all the thousands of little intricacies to to get the to the drive mechanism and the transfer case and the transmission and the engine and the electronics and all these things to work in perfect harmony so that all you have to do is push one button and that car starts and pull one lever and it goes. You know, to get it that simple, to take something so complex, Nephi's scriptures are the same way. There's so mm. many complex parallels and ideas that are interwoven in this beautiful uh, masterpiece of, of scriptural harmony that is just... Here, read it. It's simple. But when you try to just delve into it, kind of more of a little analytical study, it's so profoundly deep. So I don't know. I was just contemplating. Like, no, yeah. They, they don't. It's not like you can uh, edit it and delete it and hit the backspace. It, I mean, they're, <laughs> they're using metal, you know, etching into yeah. to, to metal. And so <laughs> you had to have your ducks in a row before you start. You yeah. Because not like it was, you know, something that went down fast. Right. And that's probably why I'm thinking through, too, why Nephi was commanded to make another set of plates, which was much larger, we, we've come to understand, because it was his history. You know, that he could probably just say, yeah, well, this happened in these years and everything. But for these plates, I, I just was thinking that it could have been months and years between him putting records in because he was just contemplating and understanding and profoundly being profoundly inspired and yet profoundly organizing these thoughts to make them so parallel and chiastic and, and to take the understanding of the scripture. You know, it's like how you just said how, Hey, that's not how I saw it earlier in my life. I see it differently now. You know, he probably had that too, because he had to come to this knowledge and understand what the types and shadows of the law of Moses were and how they related to Jesus. And all these thoughts had to meld in his mind and understanding over time to where he could then quote profess you know, this truth. Yeah. Yeah. It's one thing to study scripture. It's a, I can't even imagine writing scripture to be studied. I mean, Amen. The, Amen. The, the, the blessing of the Holy Spirit that was upon him, I, I can't imagine. I can't imagine either. And you know what really uh, shocked me the other day, Mike? It's when I was reading um, his words and he said, you know, you haven't made us mighty in writing like you have in speaking. And mm. These words to read and blow me away. Can you imagine what it must have been like, the power of the Spirit in him to and people like him? I know. You know not to hold up a man, but you know what I mean. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I, to hear, that's, that's where it says, you know, faith comes by hearing the word of God preached. Um, I, I long for that day, I think. I may crumble under those words. I don't know, mm -hmm. but that's... That would be something to experience. It would be. And in, in my journey just recently, and it's for the specific purpose that, um, I don't know, I've got too many projects. I, I, I mean, it's like I want to give my life every waking minute if I could to this, to study it and understand it, but to share it. And I've started praying, Lord, help me think the way these writers did, because unless we can think the way they did, we'll miss some of the meanings. And not, I'm not saying we'll, we'll miss the point of the gospel because it's given in clarity. But there's so much depth of understanding that comes through in their parallelisms and stuff. But you have to understand the way they thought. You know, for every physical thing, there was a spiritual thing. And and they were writing about both of them. Um, so, you know, like in one of our episodes several weeks back, we talked about this word for God that meant to nourish. And, it, and it physically in the old, the early Hebrew script, looked like an udder or breasts. And the point was it was symbolizing this nourishment, but it was 
uh, physically, but it was spiritually speaking to the way God nourishes us. And that word ends up being the word El Shaddai, uh, this, which means the aspect of God's nourishment to us. Well, nevertheless, these people do this throughout the scripture, and sometimes it kind of goes over our head, but they're, they're making these parallels. Oh, so in fact, if we come back to our text of 2 Nephi, we're going to find one of these in, in the next few verses. In fact, you just mentioned 3 Nephi um, 11, 12, 39. Was there something else you wanted to say about that? Uh-uh. Okay. No, no. So, so here's one of these ways where Nephi does something really profound, and just in, in a sentence to set it up in context, you know, in the book of John in the Bible— chapter 3, when Nicodemus comes to him at night, Nicodemus is wanting to know from Jesus really who he is, and he's and he's asking him about things, and he's he's quizzing him. He says, hey, aren't you a leader in Israel, and you don't know these things, right? Mm-hmm. And so what one of the things he's talking about is how when Moses lifts up this serpent on a pole, Jesus is talking about how Moses lifts up a serpent, and he said, you know, and the people just had to look to be healed. And so then what Jesus does with what is probably the most famous New Testament scripture, John 3.16, which starts with the word for, he's making a comparison. He said, just like Moses lifted up the pole and whoever looked, the serpent on the pole, whoever looked to him was healed. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son in a parallel way to be lifted up so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So so here we get John John recording how Jesus is explaining this to a chief rabbi who didn't understand the parallelism. So now, how does a farm boy in New York get, get to this point? Because so backing up just a little bit, um, so at verse 36 in the clarity of Nephi, he keeps saying, uh, it, it, so we know, according to the words of the prophet and the words of the angel of God, his name should be Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And now, my brethren, I have spoken plain that you cannot err. You know, it's like, right. <laughs> there it is, it's spelled out. But so here's what happens, and this is, again, how did Joseph Smith know this? Nicodemus didn't understand it. Verse 38, and as the Lord God liveth that brought Israel up out of the land of Egypt— and gave unto Moses power that he should heal the nations that after they had been bitten by the poisonous serpents, if they would cast their eyes under the serpent, which he did raise before them. And we have got to stop right here for a second. You know, I don't know about you. I don't like snakes. Mm-mm. <laughs> I, I like them a lot better than spiders. Yeah, yeah, well, either way. <laughs> but I can't imagine not only snakes, but flying snakes. That are mm. on fire. I mean, here you're looking around the sky, and there's like snakes falling out of the trees, and they're on fire, and they're biting people. I mean, can you imagine anything worse as far as a nightmare if you're like surrounded <laughs> by snakes that are, you know, if they bite you, they're going to kill you, and they're on fire, and they're flying around. I mean, it just sounds horrible, you know? And yet, this was a beautiful metaphor. Well, not beautiful in that way, but a perfect metaphor for God's justice. Remember, God being one, God is justice and God is mercy. You know, it's it's like the justice was the male Elohim, the mercy was the feminine Adonai. God is one. This God who allowed the fiery flying snakes to bring justice also through the same flaming snake lifted on a pole by simply looking at it would bring healing. And in the most beautiful 
complete explanation, Nephi explains all this once more, and he said, this is Jesus Christ, you know, the, the God of heaven and earth. This is the fact that you will be, you are all under justice. That's flaming, fiery snakes flying around. But by looking to this same snake, the source of justice is also the source of healing, which is mercy, which is Jesus Christ. And so he, he explains that just like he lifted up that serpent, and, and how, how Nephi does this is just amazing. He, he doesn't stop there. And he says also in the end of verse 38, he also gave Moses power that he should smite the rock and the water should come forth. And he said, I tell you that these things are true. And as the Lord liveth, there is none other name given under heaven, save it be this Jesus the child have spoken, where man, wherefore man can be saved. And so he's pointing this out that this same fiery flying serpent and this healing and the water flowing out of the rock, all these things were pointing towards Jesus, every, every single one of them. And so um, I'm, just to skip ahead, there's a, there's a much, I, and I, I, I'm not skipping over verses, I'm going to come back to them, but there are some large parallels in his writing where Nephi here is explaining the things of the Old Testament and like in, in this verse 38 where he's talking about this, um, and he gave Moses power that he should heal the nations. Well, if you jump ahead to verse, I think it's 73, what you find is Nephi beautifully quoting Isaiah where he says, the son of righteousness shall appear unto them and he shall heal them. Um, this is kind of in a chiastic uh, comparison through through many scriptures where this same healing the nations in the verse 38 is tied in with the son of righteousness who will arise and heal us. And so some of these comparisons and things are, are just, they're way beyond the, the podcast. I don't want to get us mired in trying to figure out the complexity of this. The words are just beautiful. But but Nephi goes through and he explains these things on the physical from the Old Testament, then he explains what they mean in the spiritual, and, and he brings it always back to Jesus, who it was. Yeah, and we, when you see language repeated like that in different instances, it's good to um, to see, you know, if the thoughts and everything around it tie in as well. That was a way of, of talking, healing the nations um, there in the beginning of the of what you were talking about. Yes. And so we're coming up on a scripture that's something we've talked about, and I know it's one of your favorites because when you read it in context, it's explained really well here. You know, one of the things I love about the Book of Mormon is it's hard to ever read any verse and take it out of context because it's so plain. That's It's easy to kind of to do, I think, in the Bible mm-hmm. sometimes because we don't always understand the language through the translations. But here it isn't. But well, we're going to come up on something, and I, and I want you to see how beautifully it's laid out You know, for everyone who's listening here, uh, something that has been used to point a, a blame to the Book of Mormon, and it isn't when you read it in context. So so four or five times now in Second Nephi 11, we've read how all these things point towards Jesus Christ, how he would be the infinite atonement. He's the eternal God. He's the one who brought healing to the nations. And so at verse 40, Nephi now interjects his words, and he says, For this cause has the Lord promised unto me that these things which I write shall be kept and preserved and handed down unto my seed from generation, 
that to generation, that the promise may be fulfilled unto Joseph, that his seed should never perish as long as the earth should stand. Well, this is important because he's saying, hey, perish not only means to die, but perish means to spiritually fall away from the truth, right, from God. There's It means it in both levels. And so he's saying, I have a promise from God that through the words I'm keeping, my my lineage won't fall away from God, but he's working hard, you know, to, to make these records. And so in verse 41, he says, these things will go forth from generation to generation, as long as the earth shall stand and they shall go according to the will and pleasure of God. And the nations which shall possess them shall be judged of them according to the words which are written. And we, we see this several times already in the writings. He said how these words are given and the nations that have them will be judged by them. Now notice, 43, for we labor diligently to write. And I'm sure that's an understatement. I, I'm sure he worked so hard at, at doing this. But he says, we labor diligently to write, to persuade our children and also our brethren to believe in Christ and to be reconciled to God. Nephi was giving every heartbeat right. to, to bring his people to God, it was his only passion in life, you know, protecting them, healing them. And so so then here's the famous statement that's taken out of context, but not when you read it in context, because he says this, for we know it is by grace that we are saved after all we can do. The grace and salvation he's talking about is this merciful Jesus Christ. Right. The all we can do is talking about his efforts in verse 43 to diligently write, no to matter, persuade. Yeah, no matter what we do. And, and, and we've talked about this before, but maybe not this completely in this setting. But yeah, no matter what we do, no matter how much we do, it's by grace that we're saved, even after all that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And so here, it's one of these things where, you know, don't be dismayed by the, the naysayers who like to throw out these ideas that, oh, well, the Book of Mormon, you know, it's teaching salvation by works. They, they don't get that. They, they don't understand this um, in context because it's taken out of context. But the, the after all we can do was definitely what Nephi was simply stating his his work on this earth was the all we can do um you know and again just because we're here for just for the record I, I just want to throw out a couple of these scriptures second Nephi 171 if there's any question that the Book of Mormon doesn't teach this correctly here second Nephi 171 redemption cometh in and through the holy Messiah for he is full of grace and grace and truth. Verse 73, 2 Nephi 1, 73, how great the importance to make these things known to the inhabitants of the earth, that they may know that there is no flesh that can dwell in the presence of God, save it be through the merits and mercy and grace of the Holy Messiah. Um, 2 Nephi 7, 42 says that it is in only in and through the grace of God that you are saved. And, and there's several scriptures that talk about this, but the, the point is Nephi's writing about his efforts to teach his people. That's the after, after everything he can do, he said, hey, it's, it's all about God and it's all because of God. Right. Yep. Oh, that's, <clears throat> that's good. Uh, just a good reminder that everything has to be, and like you said, the Book of Mormon's even harder to pull one verse out because you go back to, this same man writing, you know, a hundred pages before, continually talking on the same theme. So to just pull out one 
one little verse and say this is what it means is isn't fair really for anyone. So yeah, that's a good point. You know, you can't ever build a doctrine out of one verse. I mean, you shouldn't. Anyhow, you need to take the, all the messages and uh, and build. And and so we in the restoration need to be as on guard for that too. You know, that we don't take a single verse and all of a sudden say it defines the entire doctrine. Yeah, I have a book. I'm. I've downloaded to read. I haven't started reading. It's called something like um, "Right Text, Wrong, Wrong Application" or something. It talks about uh, how we've, as Christianity, we, taking text and then misrepresented it um, out of context. It's a, it's a whole book dedicated to that. So I look forward to reading that. I shall I will, when I do. I will bring up that actual name and author. Mm. Because it may not be any good. I have to forget <laughs> I ever mentioned it. <laughs> well, that this Nephi continues, and you know where we've been now is he's establishing that salvation was only through Christ, and that his people who were destroyed would come back to Christ. And he's telling this process of how it's going to happen. But he he gives one other piece of information, and starting in verse forty five. He says, Notwithstanding we believe in Christ, we keep the law of Moses and look forward with steadfastness unto Christ until the law shall be fulfilled. Um, a, lot, a lot of information here, and I know we've talked about it, but I'm not going to spend too much time other than to say, in the days before Jesus was crucified, if you were a follower, you still kept the Mosaic law, you kept the sacrifice and everything. But the blessing on Joseph that they were planted by this well, it says Joseph's seed would be by this well, that well is the well of salvation or the well of Christ, and that they, their blessing would be that they would understand what these things meant. They understood that this law of Moses pointed towards Jesus. And so while they were bound by their time they lived in to keep the law, Here's the beauty of how they lived. And this gets back to what I think you said two episodes. So so what should we do? How should we live? You know, we're sequestered in our homes mm-hmm. and all these things. Let's do what they did. He says, for this end, he said, we look forward to Christ until this law is done. And for this end, it, the law was given. But he says, verse 46, wherefore, the law hath become dead unto us, and we are made alive in Christ because of our faith. You know, beautiful parallelism there. The mm-hmm. deadness of the law, the life in Christ. And we keep the law because of the commandments. We talk of Christ. We rejoice in Christ. We preach of Christ. We prophesy of Christ. And we write according to our prophecies that our children may know to what source they may look for a remission of their sins. And he said, when we speak concerning the law, that our children might know the deadness of the law, and by knowing the deadness of the law and look forward to that life in Christ and know for what end it was given, and after that the law is fulfilled, that they should not harden their hearts against him when the law ought to be done away. Um, this unfolds in Third Nephi 7 when Jesus is with the Nephites in person, and he says, hey, the law is fulfilled, but the prophets aren't fulfilled. And he said, he explains that again. He says, I see that some of you guys are still wondering about the law of Moses. He said, it's done now. It was fulfilled in me. Uh, so from the time of Nephi's writing, you know, 600 years roughly before Jesus to that time when Jesus is now dead and resurrected among them, they were keeping this law and it was so much part of their culture. It was like, um, you know, it was such a drastic change that he had to say, it's okay, it's okay. You don't, you know, it wasn't about the sheep that you had to slaughter on Passover. It wasn't about, you know, the foods that you were eating. It was all to teach you about me, and here I am now. So here, yeah, that verse 48 was is just another, um, if you ask 
Well, I write questions in my scriptures uh, on the on the margin. I, I put why with a question mark, and that the first one was in verse forty for this cause uh, that they write. We mentioned earlier so that they would know that Christ is the only way you can be saved. And then, again, that same thing is brought out in verse 48, and we write according to our prophecies that, or for this cause, that is the same that. Why? Our children may know to what source they may look for a remission of their sins. Mm-hmm. So it's that, that same language, this is why we do it, that, or for this cause, for this reason, is repeated over and over as the theme there, mm. um, all to bring out, that you have to look to Christ. So if, if they're writing records for this cause or for this purpose, for this result that they want to see, that their children would know who to look to for a remission of their sins, then that's the message that the Book of Mormon teaches, and that's the message we should be teaching as well, You know that you have to look to Christ. He's the only way you can be saved. Um, and I like that theme of the, of the snake, that <clears throat> the same symbol that can bring death to you is the same thing that can save you. And um, that's been brought out in some of the stuff I've listened to. And I think it was Stephen Lawson that said that. I said, what are we actually being saved from? We're being saved from God. We think, well, we're being saved from going to hell. No, you're being saved from God, from the judgment of God. That's that's what we're being saved from, the judgment of God uh, because of his holiness. And, and the Book of Mormon teaches that so clearly because it says God can't break his own laws or he'd be right. he, he'd be out of a job. He would cease to be God, right? And yeah. so he's he's bound. He said it, it, the, the rules can't change for us any more than they could have changed for Adam and Eve who got kicked out of the garden. Either your sin is removed by mercy because of our repentance or because of our lack of repentance, mm-hmm. it won't be removed. Yeah, so when God, he gives us this message in his word, I'm, I either have to condemn you or I can save you. Um, I can either, I, I, but I have to do one or the other. Yes. I either have to yes. condemn you, or I will save you. Right, and and again, our 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 favorite kind of conversation I think we've had over the years is how clear that message is, and how that can be the only true message. And there can't be a middle salvation ground where it's like, well, I'm not really saving you, but I'll just keep you from burning a little bit. I'm going to put you on one of these yeah. outer glory planets. It doesn't exist. It's no. not, that's not the message of salvation. God wants to fully restore us to him. Otherwise we're not saved. Yeah. Yeah. So well, that's his work. That's his character and that's his power. And that's, that's where our faith has to um, lie in that in that part of his character and of and his work that's where our faith has to lie in that we it's it's dangerous to misunderstand that i think we've seen uh, what can happen to a, a people in a church that um that, that substitutes that and and makes god uh, much and I want to say, like, almost castrates Weaker. God from who he is. Exactly. I mean, I was going to say the word impotent. Impotent, yeah, sorry. <laughs> it, it deserves lo- uh, strong language, I think, because it's it's just like taking the feet right out from under um, his whole purpose. The whole purpose to save mankind. Yeah. yeah. Amen. Amen. Doesn't mean everyone will respond, unfortunately. Yeah. So, you know, in, in 48, you pointed this out. So the children would know what source to look to a remission of their sins. And that was so that they weren't saying, putting their faith in the lambs or the sacrifice mm-hmm. of doves or all these things. No. And that's why there's people in our uh, 
in our faith today who somehow think well, we need to restore these things somehow to satisfy God. No, these were just teaching tools, and we aren't satisfying God by thinking we have to bring back these sacrifices. Of We miss the whole point even bigger than the people in that day if we somehow, with this word in our hand, think we have to return to that somehow to satisfy God. But notice, once again, after he talks about the deadness of the law in 49 and the life in Christ in 50 and the law being fulfilled in Christ and not hardening their hearts in 51, notice what he says one more time in verse 52. And now behold, my people, you are stiff-necked. Wherefore, I have spoken plain unto you that you cannot misunderstand. You know, he said this four or five times. I've spoken plain that you cannot misunderstand. I've spoken plain that you cannot err. You know, you, you I'm speaking in plainness. I'm telling you the way it is. So, then he says, hey, these are gonna, words will stand as a testimony uh, against you. He said, what I've told you in verse 53, he says, these are sufficient to teach any man the right way. And the right way is to believe in Christ and deny him not. And if you deny him, you're also denying the prophets and the law, everything that the law pointed to, everything that the prophets pointed to. You know, it's it's hard, but very clear language. So, and then, then in the beautiful chiastic form of parallelism, notice in verse 55, he repeats verse 54, but he says it in a more powerful way yet. He says, I'm going to read 54 again, so, so we hear it with 55. For the right way is to believe in Christ and deny him not, for, for by denying him you also deny the prophets and the law. And now behold, I say unto you that the right way is to believe in Christ and deny him not, and Christ is the Holy One of Israel. All right, now that verse right there, and, and I need to finish it with 56. Wherefore, you must bow down before him and worship him with all your might, mind, and strength, and your whole soul. And if you do this, you shall be in no wise cast out. So right there in a nutshell, he's saying the right way to believe in Christ, deny him not. The right way to believe in Christ, deny him not. But then he says, and Christ is the Holy One of Israel. The Holy One of Israel, that was Isaiah's favorite term. He used that more than anyone else in the Bible mm. to refer to God with a capital G. The Holy One of Israel was God. That was the one who gave the law, who they worshiped, who they followed. Down, followed. And here what Nephi does is he puts a great equal sign in Scripture, and he says, and Christ is the Holy One of Israel. You know, these, these are the patterns that he said going back to his early statement where um, we shared this in a podcast uh, a couple weeks back with this same, every time he introduces Christ, he says, <clears throat> like in verse 21, um, the day cometh that the only begotten of the father, yea, even the father of heaven and earth shall manifest himself unto the flesh, but they will reject him. Every time he's introducing Christ, he's telling us that he is the father as well. He is the creator. And now we have in this verse, 55, he says, and Christ is the Holy One of Israel. He said, so any of you Isaiah fans out there who've been reading about this Holy One, Holy One, Holy One of Israel, he said, that's Christ. This is the Messiah. I'm speaking plain so you don't misunderstand. So you'd have to, um, and, and not that we have time right now, but the, um, it would be good to, in context, see how Isaiah viewed the Holy One of Israel or in what, you know, references, because I, I could say where um, that language says, you know, uh, what verse did you just read? 21, was it? Mm -hmm. I think it was 21. 
uh, the day cometh the only begotten of the Father, yea, even the Father of heaven and earth. That could be, I, I, I can see where people would say you're, you're talking about the Father, you know, it's just stating which Father, the Father of heaven and earth, um, shall manifest himself unto them in the flesh. Oh, no, <laughs> never mind. Yeah, so you could say that's just that's referencing the Son of the Father, the Father of heaven and earth, like it's stating the Father twice. But if do you see what I'm saying? I'm playing the devil's advocate. But if you, that's what happens if you take just one verse out of context, because all of the other, because there's so many other scriptures that refer to him as the Holy One of Israel. Oh yeah. And then so then you go back to the Old Testament and say, well, what was that relationship to this Holy One of Israel? Yeah. Here, and here, what was their understanding of who that was? Here, here's a here's a couple of them right here. Um, you know, in Psalms 71, 78, 79, it says, I will praise thee, O my God. I will sing unto thee, O thou Holy One of Israel. Uh, That's in the Psalms. Um, Psalm 89 says, For the Lord is our defense, and the Holy One of Israel is our king. This is mm-hmm. this is the language they used. Um, in Isaiah 1, 4, it talks about the sinful nation that would provoke the Holy One of Israel to anger. But Isaiah uses, I'm just going to, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, uh, at least 12 different ones, 12 different verses, rather, where um, the Holy One of Israel is used by Isaiah. Um, and the, the the language is always very, very direct and powerful in its description. So Nephi then uses this term, uh, Holy One of Israel, and uh, and Jeremiah uses it as well, and Jeremiah was a contemporary of Nephi, but he's he's unequivocally saying Christ is this one. Yeah. The scriptures have always talked about. Yeah, it's it's always when you when you take the whole picture and 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 put it all together, the Lord gives us a great a great and the Book of Mormon fills us in a great uh, overview of of who He is and His work, mm-hmm. and they all tie together. and And we have so many to- tools nowadays that help us see these things. Oh yeah, you know, it's so amazing that you can sit across the table and just gather together all of these writings of Scripture. And and then just count them up and and then show how it's linked together. That's yeah fascinating, yeah. and we're blessed to have that. Yeah, you know, one thing I, I'm going to just kind of squeeze this in, um, and I, I know we're getting a little short on time, but it's probably important too that some people and and I, I say this in love because I know some people just want to know the truth, and some people say, well, yeah, but with the law of Moses, even as clear as these scriptures are that we've got in the Book of Mormon, set the Bible aside. The Bible tells the same thing. Paul spends half of the New Testament explaining how the law of Moses is fulfilled. But there's people who look at a single verse and they'll say, but God told Moses you're supposed to keep these laws forever, forever. Well, that word forever is interesting when you come back in the Hebrew thought. Um, when When I've been reading in recent like Jeff Benner's a good one on his websites. He's got multiple websites with different books and stuff, but he talks about how the Hebrews viewed time differently. They, they viewed time as a circle. They didn't view it as this spectrum that just went on uh, in one continuous dimension that had no end. Uh, in fact, that's why this 
it's interesting that the Book of Mormon uses the term the work of the course of the Lord is one eternal round. That's what it says. It's a circle. To wow. the, that's the language of Hebrews. But they didn't have a concept of uh, infinite forever. That wasn't part of their thinking. And when they said forever, what what forever meant to them was it, it equates back. This is what Jeff Benner teaches to the concept of the horizon. In other words. Forever was what was just beyond view over the horizon, but it wasn't something that meant infinity to them. That's never our, ending. Right. Yeah. That's our spin on it. But see, what happened is Moses said, You're going to keep these laws forever. That meant you're going to keep them beyond your days because he was talking about, he said, But Moses says this, and I, I want to, in Second Nephi 11, Nephi explains something here right after this uh, passage we just read how. He's the Holy One of Israel. You're going to bow down to him. He said. He says this in verse 58, After Christ shall have risen from the dead, he shall show himself unto you, my children and my beloved brethren, and the words which he shall speak unto you shall be the law which you shall do. Well, so he's saying now when Jesus comes, his words are going to be the law. They had the same Deuteronomy text that says, hey, you're going to keep these words forever. They're... They're the same words Moses said. You see, Nephi is quoting Moses here, and the, the reason this is important is because when Moses said, you're going to keep these words forever, he also said, but when this Messiah comes, you're going to do the things he says, right? So he was already setting up the people to understand that the law of Moses was a finite thing. Because the Jews never accepted Jesus as the Messiah— they didn't see the law ending with him. And I don't know that all the Jews even today have put this together, that it was finite. But the point is, our people can't be confused by this. Because the Old Testament said forever, that's our English rendition of what we view in our mind as something eternity. But for them, it was, hey, it's just whatever's over the horizon out of you. And so all along, Moses was even telling the people, these are laws for now. Yes, they're going to be throughout your days, but there's a day coming. It's over the horizon when this ends. And when this Messiah comes, his laws become the laws that we keep now. So so the, the, for that reason alone, there should be, hopefully, it'll, it'll clarify through the, the loving words of the Book of Mormon why we, we just need to follow the words of Christ. We don't need to be caught up in, gosh, we'll be keeping these Old Testament laws and all these things. It, it wasn't the point. Right, right. Um, well, we've talked today, I think, about what, what does the Book of Mormon teach about uh, salvation. Uh, and I guess if we summed up most yeah. of this, uh, you know, for this cause and why the records were written, because of salvation in Christ. And that's that's always the message, it seems, throughout the throughout the Book of Mormon. Yeah, yeah. And it's, and it's beautiful and clear. And as Nephi writes, you know, I'm telling you, and you can't misunderstand. Yeah. Well, Corey, this week, when you see a squirrel out there, just remember they have superpowers. <laughs> did you record that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did. Oh, my they, gosh. All right. They have, uh, they have little superpowers, and so maybe that'll put a smile on our face <laughs> as we, we're good. driving around. Yeah. What are we going to talk about next time? We're going to continue in Second Nephi 11, and we're going to get this story about how his people are going to come back to Christ through this word. So until then, just remember, we are here just walking each other home. All right. Till next time. Bye-bye.